I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Well, hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Front Row Network and Beyond the Mouse coming at you with a full disclosure of a wonderful film that just came out, Mary Poppins Returns. And uh, we're looking at well over 50 years after the original movie coming out, and this is a direct sequel to that film, not a remake or anything like that. And my name is Craig. Around me are some people that really enjoyed this movie, I believe. I'll go first to my co-host from Beyond the Mouse, Brett Rutherford. Hi, I'm Brett. And Vanessa. Hello. Also the co- the host of Classics and co-host of Zonisodes, if you can find it out there, uh, Brandon Davis. Well, hello. And then also Anna McFarland is with us. Hi, hello. Yeah, so first of all, before we dive into this, uh, we're going to talk about Brett's experience seeing this film here in a little bit. But Brett, you just got back from Disneyland in I the did. holidays. How was I- that? Well, it was the it was the most wonderful time of the year and the happiest place on earth. What's you know how could be, <laughs> what could be wrong with that? It was great, absolutely. It was well, you you know, I was thinking about future episodes and things like that. It feels like we should do a whole trip report on what you did out there. Oh, uh, it and was, yeah, it was because exciting. you've done so much, and then also uh, we talked about maybe doing an episode on solo traveling to Disney World or Disneyland. And well, yes. Oh, yeah. Because at least two of us are good at that. <laughs> so we've got lots of content. <laughs> I'm sure Anna would love to travel solo to Disneyland. <laughs> you know it. Bye-bye. <laughs> she, she's stuck with me. So, well, you know. <laughs> Go to a conference in Orlando and then, you know. Right. That's how that That's works. how that works. That's yes. how that works. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Although, if you're going to a conference in Orlando, I might sneak down there anyway. So, uh, so let's start to talk about Mary Poppins Returns. Do you want to remind everybody that every episode of Full Disclosures are heavily spoiler-filled. So if you have not seen this movie yet, I definitely recommend that you go out and see the picture before listening to this, but also just because... I think it was a really charming film. I think it was a really heartwarming film. All those little buzzwords you see on a poster for a movie, this this film actually lived up to that. So definitely go out there and check that out because spoilers for this movie will start in three, two, one. Well, Mary our, Poppins is a zombie. <laughs> our, our joke is to say who dies in the film. I know I was going to uh, say, but nobody dies. That's well, not actually, true. Though. Someone does die. Someone in the film. is. Someone has passed. Well, right? that's yes. true. Okay. So, well, really, two people. Well, three people. Three. Really, if least. you think about. Well, actually, four because we don't see the. We don't see the. I'm the cook either. Oh, right, um, right, right. And actually, while I was in the movie theater. I uh, was with my mom, and in that scene where everyone's got a balloon and they're going up in the air, I leaned over, I go, everyone's about to die. (laughs) (laughs) That is so So, bad. Just take it all out. Yeah, like, there goes the whole cast. They're just about to fall to their death. (laughs) But let's talk about our first impressions. A bunch of us saw this movie together, and Brett, we're going to do your last, because you had kind of the fun... um, the extra 
a little uh, extra, a little bit extra to little. what you did. So we'll start uh, to my left and talk to Anna first. What were your first impressions coming out of the theater of Mary Poppins Returns? Well, I'll preface by saying I really wasn't interested in seeing this movie at all. I did not want to go. I didn't want to spoil it. I, to me, the first movie was just that good that I didn't. I didn't want to go see this one. I, there's no way it could have been as good. And so that's how I went into this movie. Like, well, I'll go. It seems like fun. I like Mary Poppins a lot. <laughs> so I feel like I should see this. And I was incredibly impressed. And it's probably one of my all-time favorite movies now. And I told mm. one of my friends that I woke up just singing the songs. And, like, it's, the, it's in my dreams now. And I keep quoting it. And so it stuck with me. And I want to go back and see it again. And I haven't wanted to see a movie again like that in years. Probably since Titanic. So I'm ready to go see it again. I absolutely love it. Mad girl crush wow. on Emily Blunt, too, right? Yes, I want to be Emily Blunt when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we're the same age, but it's fine. <laughs> but I loved it. And, I mean, the acting was spot on. The script was so neat. And all the little Easter eggs that were in that film. And I know we'll get more to depth on everything. But first impressions, I'm in love, and I want to go see it again. It's one of my all-time favorites. Brandon? I've seen it twice now, and I saw it Christmas Day alongside the time that you and I went and saw it, but uh, I think you, you all asked me what my opinion was when we came out of the movie, and I said I was smiling the whole time. I mean, that was basically, I mean, that's the best review I can give it. It just, um, I left feeling the way I haven't felt after a Disney movie in a long time. It, it had the old-fashioned Disney feel to it. And uh, yeah, it was just it was just joyful. You don't see many joyful movies anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I was worried about how maybe Lin Manuel Miranda would translate to the screen. He's such a great live performer, but I think he's got a great movie career ahead of him. Um, and right down to every little supporting part, everybody was played by someone really interesting. And I think it was just perfectly cast. And of course, the two wonderful cameos by the wonderful people in their 90s, which we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, just, just a joy from beginning to end. Vanessa? I went and saw it with my uh, niece and nephew. Um, so it was great to see... I don't think they've seen the first Mary Poppins film. So it was great to see it with them and having this be their first Mary Poppins experience. Um, we all just really enjoyed it. It was just um, very well done. There wasn't really anything new for me. Uh, like it was, It's kind of the same movie, but just kind of retold in a different way. But everything was very well done. Emily Blunt was just wonderful. Um, the kids really liked it. So I... Yes, I very much enjoy it. I love the. I have a poster now, of of it, uh, the Mary Poppins, and the, even the design on the poster is so well done. So I'm really excited to hang that up. Yeah, you know, I I agree with you that it's kind of a it's a retelling of the original Mary Poppins. But I will say that I think that this movie has a bit more of a focused antagonist as opposed to, you know, this general theme that like capitalism and the bankers are the uh, first villain in Mary Poppins. This one definitely has a a more specific uh, focused villain, but uh, I echo what everybody else said. I've been stealing what Brandon told us, after he got out of the theater, whenever anyone asked me personally, I say that it it really did put a smile on my face and that it had that Disney feeling to it um, that is a classic Disney feeling. And so I totally, I'm not even citing you when I steal that from you. So, um, you could give me for plagiarism for sure, intellectual property. Uh, but, you know, it just was a really enjoyable film all the way throughout. I really liked the way that they used animation. I loved the way the the costume design and 
everything else was just so spot on in this film, it really brought you back to Cherry Tree Lane, and it was a really cool way to do it. So now we get to talk to Brett, who had a bit of a special experience. Now, you also were very tired that day. You've talked to me about that. But where did you see this film, and how did you see this film? Well, I... When I realized that I was going to be in California during the opening of uh, Mary Poppins Returns, I'm like going, well, is there going to be a theater I can go to in the greater Los Angeles area? And then I thought, aha, El Capitan. Well, then I looked that up and they were having a a very special presentation at that time. It switched a bit, but... uh, Uh, Well, originally it was going to be, it was a double feature of the original Mary Poppins followed by Mary Poppins Returns. But then I, uh, a couple of weeks later, I received an email from El Capitan says, please contact us. I'm like going, oh my gosh, what's going on? As it turns out, um, it went from a double feature just to the, uh, just to the, the, the showing of Mary Poppins Returns, which, um. I thought made more sense actually. So, um, but yeah, so we saw it at the El Capitan. Um, I was with my friend Steve, who is my tour guide and well, good friend and tour guide of the greater Los Angeles area. And, uh, and it was, it was very special because there, well, it was El Capitan, which is the refurbished, uh, movie theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Now that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Hollywood Boulevard. But anyway, um, and so it's a Disney owned theater and they have quite a number of, you know, premieres and all of that there. Um, but yeah, so there was, um, there were special photo op, uh, opportunities, uh, there and we would go downstairs and we could see props and costumes from the, from the film, um, before we see the film, and uh, no spoilers there, um, but uh, um, and uh, and then uh, made our way up to the theater, um, and I was in the balcony, and because of the reticketing, I got even better seats than I did the first time, so it was center, uh, and uh, they have uh, um, and well, I guess they have a refurbished or at least an old time Wurlitzer organ, um, so they had. Uh, uh, it came up, it rot, it rose from uh, underneath the theater and made a grand presentation. And the Phantom uh, of the Opera was playing it. Well, no, I this really, I guess this, <laughs> this really famous now because he plays all of the shows there. But mm-hmm. I, it was kind of like our own very own Mark Gifford, which I thought Mark Gifford would love this gig <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so yeah, so and it, there were in in terms of sort of. Uh, it's sort of in Disney terms. Unfortunately, there were a few moments of Disney bad show because um, the movie was supposed to start at seven, and uh, and they were hold they they held. I mean, this was and it was completely sold out. So they held until more audience got there. So we didn't start until seven thirty. So the organist played for an hour and a half. Oh wow! But that's yeah, a long that's time a for lot. organ music. That was a lot of, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of Disney. Music and we enjoyed it all, and um, but anyway, but then there's and I looked at I looked uh, they had a curtain show. It's like this thing they have a curtain show, and I didn't know if that was a very old time reference sort of thing. But I looked on some um, YouTube clips, and they have a curtain show prior to um, their films there. I know they've had some like live, you know, performances before a show, but this was like just you know. They have a new Swarovski, sorry, uh, crystal uh, 
curtain, and anyway, so so we wow, saw that nice. too, and then the movie starts. Really but but yeah, but how many seats are in that theater? I don't know, a thousand. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to even see a film with that many people. You know, Brandon, you've commented before that the reason why we go out to the movies is because it's that communal experience of seeing a film. So were there hoops and hollers? Were there cheering? There was a serious fan base there that night. Well, there were a lot of people could come in costume. And actually, as the social media that, uh, that came after the the opening night they were they were very happy to see um those that were in costume and they were featured heavily on the uh the El Capitan's Facebook site. I didn't I didn't make it rats, but anyway, I was second in line so to see it. But um yeah the whole the theater was bathed well it was a gorgeous theater and it was bathed in this, you know, very deep pink uh light. And like, like the areas that um, I guess they're kind of um, special boxes on the side, but they were decorated um, with cherry blossoms and oh, the, wow. and, actually, and the bunting that was you see later in the film, you know. So very it cool. It was really nicely themed, and it was just it was a very special night with with fans. And we got some really cool swag. <laughs> that, um, yeah. that was fun. Two reasons why I want to go out to the El Capitan. One, you mentioned it's Disney owned, but uh, one, the first premiere of the renovated one, you've sent me some pictures of it, was yes. The Rocketeer. Yes. And that is one of my favorite movies. I absolutely love that film. And then the second thing is that when Kevin Feige and Marvel introduced kind of their run of movies about five or six years ago, it was phase three and four, leading up to this last film of phase four, uh, they did that presentation, that whole presentation at the El Capitan. So it has a little bit of Marvel Disney history now mm-hmm. too, which is really, really neat. Uh, but I was jealous that you got to go see that. So what you was your first it. impressions on on the film, however, since you the film, well, it again. Um, I've seen a couple of films um, out there um, while I've been on vacation. Up until recently, there was an AMC theater in the downtown Disney area. There, so um, I uh, let's see. I saw the last Star Wars film on the opening day at nine forty in the morning. You know, right down the way from Disneyland. Cool. Um, uh, and then, you know, finished the rest of the... As soon as the film was over, I went over and, and I wrote Star Tours. And I did the whole Star Wars experience. So it was kind of a fun day there. But when I'm on vacation, I guess because, you know, you're at Disney and you're kind of tired. And if it's a warm, comfortable you know, theater. Um, this, it was so funny because the when I watched uh, the Star Wars film again on Netflix, I'm like going, oh... Well, I must have been asleep longer than I thought. So, so anyway, so and the other the other sort of uh, caveat to my experience with uh, this time around was that my enjoyment level goes down when I'm really tired, and I was still kind of on Central Time during this time. So basically, the movie was taking place, um, you know, like from nine thirty to eleven thirty, and so that was a little. But anyway, so I. I um, to answer your question, I enjoyed it, but I did not enjoy it as much as I did the second time. Uh, because the second time was just magical all around. And I was, you know, I mean, I did very, I, well, I, yeah, it slept. Well, I was, you know, I mean, I've been very emotional, you know, with, you know, since the beginning of seeing all of this sort of stuff with that, you know, with the preview at the D23 Expo. And then, uh, and then when we watched the, 
the the clip, you know, the preview together. I mean, like I would weep every time I would watch it. So I went prepared to, you know, be a, I guess, you know, a John Krasinski because I guess he was a mess the whole time when that's what Emily Blunt says in her interviews. But uh, but I didn't cry until the end. So I was thinking either I'm tired or dead inside. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the the whole sort of. I think, you know, also what sort of, mm, had sort of put a different spin on my experience was, uh, now the El Capitan was gorgeous and, and such a Disney experience, but the surrounding area in Hollywood Boulevard was definitely not. And I hadn't been there for a while. And, um, my tour guide, Steve, I think wanted to show me, <laughs> well, I wanted to get my reaction, my little Midwestern reaction to life in the big city. And, uh, there were all sorts of opportunities for recreational lots, uh, well, choices recreationally <coughs> in California. And then there are also sort of interesting shopping opportunities for things that I will never, well, actually will never bur- leave my brain because they're burned into, yeah. But anyway, but, but the whole... But, but, what, did, what did you say that I took totally the wrong way? You said something like, I'm riding high on... Well, yes, Hollywood Boulevard. And at first, I was like, "Oh, are you enjoying it?" And you're like, "No, the smell everywhere. It's like a hot box." I'm, going, you know, I'm just like going. There were there were some uh, there were some uh, people engaging in recreational um, activities that are legal in California uh-huh. that have not been made legal in all. Uh, states, <laughs> and they just decide to basically have a little pot picnic on Hollywood Boulevard. And so, and I'm by like, that well, you mean potluck, of course. Yes, right? it was a potluck. They would potluck. You know, it would be hard to bring like a us. crock pot to a boulevard. But <laughs> well, let's get um, back into the movie a bit more and talk uh, specifically about some of the characters that we really enjoyed. I think that we would be fooling ourselves if we didn't start with Mary Poppins herself. Emily Blunt in this film and uh, you know Anna you mentioned that she really blew you away in this performance but do you have any specifics that you want to mention about Emily Blunt's performance? Well I had heard and she had said this in an interview I was listening to that they had um, chosen her as the actress from Mary Poppins prior to the music being written and I thought that was a really neat thing going into the movie to see what that meant exactly and once I watched the movie that all made sense to me. It's, I mean she is the most perfect Mary Poppins that you could get besides Julie Andrews, hands down. And she's just incredible. And I can't imagine those words coming out of my mouth because I never thought I would say that in a million years. Because she, but it just, to me, Julie Andrews, of course, is the be all end all, but you can't compare them. They're, they're, they are that, they all, what makes them both so great is they have in their heart what makes up Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. And I think that they both get it. And that's what she is, is she gets it. She understands who Mary Poppins is and what she does and truly understands the character. And so to see her play that character and just do it so effortlessly, it was just great. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, people are, are going back and forth saying, oh, well, of course, Julie Andrews is the best. And, I, you know, I think it's really difficult to compare those two performances. Obviously, it's the same character. But beyond that, it, it's approached slightly differently uh, in both of them. And I think that there's qualities of each that I enjoyed probably more than the other. You know, I, mm-hmm. I really, of course, enjoy Julie Andrews' singing voice, and she's so great. And that's hard to live up to if you're Emily Blunt. But at the same time, I really enjoyed having learned a little bit more from Saving Mr. Banks and doing a bit more research into Mary Poppins. I feel like some of the characterizations of Mary Poppins as a character in a book 
that Emily Blunt grabbed onto that a bit better than Julie Andrews did. That's in the writing as well. Right. And I, yeah, absolutely. But so I think that there's, it's just hard to, I I think you can equally enjoy them both. Mm -hmm. Now you heard uh, Emily Blunt in an NPR interview and I wanted you to mention that uh, and particularly kind of what challenges she overcame. Oh, it was a great interview, and I can't remember the title off the top of my head right now, but um, in the interview, she speaks about how um, she had a stutter growing up, and it got really bad when she was 12 years old, and why she did theater in the first place was because when she was acting, she didn't have a stutter, and she could be who she really wanted to be and be herself, and so it was a great interview, and she, she talked about how she was over, overcoming that through acting, and that's how it kind of fell into her lap, and... She's big into the American um, Institute of Stuttering and, and helps that organization. So just a really, really neat person. And that made me love her even more. Yeah. And she's married to Jim from The Office. So I <laughs> uh, got to love that too. But Vanessa, what do you have to say about Emily Blunt's performance? I, I thought she did very well. Those are very big shoes to fill. And uh, you don't want to be a replica of Julie Andrews' performance. You don't want to try to mimic her. Um, so she did a very great job, I'll say great job, of making it her own, but still um, reminding us of Mary Poppins. There was one moment that made me go, hmm, would Mary Poppins say that? And it's when she says, um, uh, one of the children says, like, oh, I don't like bubbles in my bath. And he goes, she, and she says, well, you just have to avoid them. And I was <laughs> like... Hmm. I, mm, I don't. I don't. Julie Andrews would have said that, but, but other than that, uh, I just thought she was delightful. And and actually, when I was a kid, I don't think I really grasped the plot of Mary Poppins. It, it's kind of dark in uh-huh. some ways, and it freaked me out as a kid. And um, so, Julie Andrews, uh, her portrayal in, in some ways even scared me a little bit. Um, and this, I, I don't, I don't know that kids watching Emily Blunt's performance will be um, scared of her at all. Not that Mary Poppins' Julie Andrews version, it wasn't t- completely delightful. It was, uh, but as a, as a five year old, I didn't quite grasp all the things that were happening and the, and the, the meanings behind uh, of the original story. So I think this one is is more tangible for children today. Yeah, Brandon. I, you know, there uh, there are two totally different. Uh, portrayals while 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 keeping the same sort of um, keeping the same sort of spirit at the same time, but you know Julie Andrews has this natural warmth about her that Emily Blunt naturally does not. You know Emily Blunt just comes off more prickly just naturally, mm-hmm. so so she played that side of Mary Poppins more than Andrews would have. But but I thought I thought she was wonderful and she played up the. Um, you know, Julie Andrews hints at it in the movie that, you know, there's a kind of danger to Mary Poppins even, you know, and I felt like Emily Blunt played that up a little bit more like, oh, whatever happens, happens, you know, kind of stuff. And so that was that was fun to watch. But, yeah, she just, um, I have a feeling if P.L. Travers were still alive, she would probably approve more of Emily Blunt's portrayal maybe then because she's not quite as sunny as Julie Andrews was. But still, it's, I mean, the two... You know, you can't compare two performances like that. They're both equally of the same stature. You're my Oscar guy, uh, my film historian. So do you think this, of course, is a role that Julie Andrews won for? And let's not try to project if Emily Blunt Blunt would win, but is this an Oscar nomination-worthy performance? In this day and age and in the kind of climate we're in, I 
I don't see it happening. And mainly because Julie Andrews win, even though it's a wonderful performance, there was a lot more politics involved in her winning. Um, there was a lot of bad blood that she didn't get the role in My Fair Lady. Um, there were a lot of people who turned against Audrey Hepburn because she didn't do her own singing, so they didn't nominate Audrey Hepburn. There was a lot of support on Julie Andrews' side, and that's kind of what pushed her to the forefront of winning that Oscar. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I still, I don't, I don't, you know, take away any of Julie Andrews, you know, worthiness of being an Oscar winner. But um, I, I can see her sneaking in as kind of that last fifth nominee that sneaks in if the voting goes a certain way. But I don't see her being an Oscar front runner just because of the day and age we're living in. Gotcha. Well, I think, and particularly in that category, I think Gaga's running away with it at the moment so mm. we'll see um i and we'll talk a lot more about that in february won't we? oh boy <laughs> so but uh brett what are your thoughts on emily blunt's performance as mary poppins well i think you know i i mean she was amazing she was everything and i think prior to watching this and i think vanessa will we'll talk about this a little bit as well um how disney is Showing almost too much before we get to the theater. Oh, um, totally agree with that. But anyway, um, I watched this, and, and again, it was another interview. Because I guess they do these press tours. Yeah. Anyway. For these big events. For these big events. Well, it was this, uh, I watched tons of this because I've wanted, I've been looking forward to this movie forever. And I watched a, it was New York Times with Lynn Manuel and Emily Blunt. And Rob Marshall, and she and Emily Blunt went into a very detailed explanation for about five minutes that was, you know, it was all about the internal workings and the motivations and behind Mary Poppins. And you just could tell that she did so much research, cared so much about the original film and the Julie Andrews performance. She wanted hers to be different, but she just got the character in so many deep ways and it just impermeated her being you know and and it was I think she you know I, when I've heard her interviews you know she she mentions that you know when she read the book because she didn't rewatch the movie until after she was finished probably an extremely brilliant move on her part but she went into the books and you know she thought that you know that that Mary Poppins is uh, is uh, ex extremely eccentric and and rude um, and at some point well there so there's you mm. know, avoid the bubbles so anyway, yeah. Yeah. and that she um, and she's vain and all these wonderful qualities that she brought absolutely all of these these nuances and these 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 qualities to her performance so it was uh, yeah, I'm in love with her too. She, well, I was in love with her before, but I'm like going, I just, yeah. I mean, you know, all of her, all of her films are just, I'm just always blown away by her performance. And this one, you know, to take on something so iconic and to do it so well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to the leading man, uh, Lynn Alexander Manuel Hamilton. <laughs> 
Miranda, right? Is that, <laughs> is that his full name now? Um, but he, uh, and I'll start off with his portrayal. Uh, what I'm interested in is that both of these actors they've had play this sort of sidekick to Mary Poppins have been American actors that uh, are trying to pull off a British accent. And we know it was to comical results when Dick Van Dyke did it, um, kind of over-the-top, this over-the-top cockney. And I thought right away from the very first song that Lynn manuel does a great job of portraying someone that is that lamplighter that is has grown up in London his whole life. He really got the accent down, I thought, and uh, really enjoyed his voice in this. You know, it's hard to not always constantly hear him and uh, hear Hamilton in the background, but uh, it's. I thought that he did a great job of bringing Jack to the screen. And what I think was cool about it is that they incorporated the fact that Jack was there in Mary Poppins. You know, that he was one of the kids that was uh, one of the chimney sweeps, the young chimney sweeps that was, uh, you know, at the bank's house and all of this. So it was pretty neat to tie in that and uh, then to mention that Bert was off. What was Bert doing? I forgot. Exploring the world. Exploring the world or whatever he was doing. Uh, so it's kind of cool that they tied that all up into a nice pretty bow for us. And I really thoroughly enjoyed Lin-Manuel's performance. Uh, Brandon, what are your thoughts? Yeah, he. Um, that, uh, there seemed to be little moments where he was paying tribute to the Van Dyke accent because I noticed his accent would come in and out at certain points. But... Uh, but yeah, he was just, I mean, I mean, just fantastic. I mean, the, from the minute of the opening strains of the uh, London Sky at the beginning, he grabs you. He, he was a great storyteller. Um, he, he's great at it. You know, he was great. You totally believed everything he did in the animated sequences, which isn't easy for some actors to do. Um, but of course, his training as a live performer totally adapted well to every bit of it. Um, I, you know, with the uh, Triple Little Light Fantastic, I thought, well, they have a lot to live up to because of Step in Time, but they brought just as much excitement into that number, and he was one of the main reasons for it. And his relationship with Emily Blunt had the same playful uh, attitude that Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke had had, so he fit, he fit perfectly into this world. And like I said before, I think he's a, he's a strong screen presence. Not everybody translates well from the stage to the screen, but he does. You know... Maybe he's part of the reason why we had smiles on our face the whole time because he did. You yeah. know, I think that yeah. he just really enjoyed yeah. filming this movie. You know, it never seemed like there was even a single scene where he was phoning it in. And most of the time he had this kind of smirk. If he wasn't grinning from ear to ear, he was always sort of smiling. He always was sort of on. And I wonder if that uh, helped propel us to feel very much the same way throughout the whole film. And I, I really enjoyed that aspect of his characterization too. But Brett, we'll let you go next. What do you think about I him? I was concerned, well? you know, again, as you said, you know, going from, uh, I mean, we've seen him in other mediums. I mean, we've, I haven't seen him live, but we've seen him, uh, on television and like in the Tony awards and that sort of thing. And I was concerned when you see someone, you know, in, in a, in a, in a movie, it's just so different, but he looked great. I thought he looked great, you yeah. know, and he had a great presence. And so the presence that he has in his live performances translated into something that was not his work, which is different for him, you know? So I thought that was, I thought he was stellar. Mm -hmm. Vanessa? Yeah, 
Yeah, he's he's kind of America's sweetheart at the moment, and everyone just loves him, and and we're all rooting for him, and he just brings an energy to anything he does, and that definitely comes across in this movie. I thought it was interesting in an interview with Terry Gross. um, He said he'd actually never seen the film all the way through before because Feed the Birds was way too sad for him which I, I was like listening to him like yes the, the, I, that part is so sad Walt's favorite song too I always think about that because yeah. like that is just the most depressing song ever um, I, I, I'm not and again like I need to go back and rewatch this through adult eyes because I'm just feeding pulling can, from my childhood memories I still don't understand why that song like what's the point of that song it's just to make me so sad no that's it's not the whole film is to see <laughs> the birds it's to do a little something nice for somebody yeah. else oh, to, but 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 like they just give her money for birds why don't they take her into the house or something like give her a bed feed the birds give feed, her a home feed, feed <laughs> the old woman give her a shower yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know she seemed like she was in great need and no, that just makes well, me so in, sad she was, she was in this film too in bed <laughs> sleep in this nice she was bed in, she was in this film too wasn't she I mean they go past he goes past and she's there she's still there they still have not <laughs> oh, helped her Jay, that's her job she, <laughs> okay. she lives right. in a flat and somewhere else All right. and then she just goes there <laughs> thank you for making me feel better thank you she's, she feeds the birds it's her gig She's that stereotypical, like, you You always hear these people complaining about, like, panhandlers and things, that they are just out there, but they actually have Porsches in their driveway and all of this, that, that terrible stereotype that goes around. That's that's basically the Feed yeah, the Birds well, lady, right? Yeah. Well, it's like, <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. But um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, wonderful job. Yeah. Anna? No, I echo what all you say as well. I think he did a great job on, on film, and... I enjoyed his performance, and I don't... He, he wasn't quite as memorable as, say, Emily Blunt was, but he also wasn't not right for the part either. He did, he did a nice job of blending and doing, like, what he was supposed to do, and he did a nice job at his part. And like, he also had big big shoes to fill, and he did a great job. And that dude can climb a clock like you would. Yeah. yeah. So yes, oh, my God. He can balance a bike really well, You know? Too. Mm-hmm. That was so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many moments. Yeah, we'll get to those. Yeah. So he's been nominated for a Golden Globe, but because he's the other lead, Brandon, I want to go back to you and... Uh, he's been nominated for Best Actor in a Comedy or Musical, which, of course, doesn't exist in an Oscar category. Is there a chance that the Academy looks at him as a supporting actor as opposed to a leading actor? And does that give him a better opportunity, possibly, to get a nomination? And maybe even because of who he is? I mean, he is so hot right now that... Possibly. Not that politics would play into it at all, but... No, but I I think his time's going to come later down the line. The, the, The... Male categories this year are so stacked. I don't think he's going to be able to creep through this year. Even Emily in, Blunt might be able to in the female category, but even in uh, in uh, supporting, <sighs> I mean, Sam Elliott is good. Yeah. But, you, know, you never know. Yeah, you never. There's know. always a surprise. Sam Elliott didn't even get nominated for the Globes. Well, well I'm saying the Golden Globes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's true. Well, if, it's if, like four I mean, drunk, I four impressive. If he was McCarthy, can get nominated for Bridesmaids. Anything can happen. That's so, true. You know. That's true. She we'll did be looking forward to that. She in, pooped in a sink in that film. January. Um, so let's Use go. Let's move over to the the Banks children. 
uh, because they are listed after their parents, but I think that they play a more prominent role than the parents do. So uh, Pixie Davies plays Annabelle, Nathaniel Saley. Uh, plays John. I apologize, Nathaniel. And Joel Dawson plays Georgie. So talk to me about your thoughts on the Banks children and how they moved the plot along and and how they incorporated. Did they live up to Jane and Michael Banks uh, in the first film? Uh, Vanessa, we haven't started with you yet, so I'll start with you. Yeah, I think I thought they were um, actually. I liked them even more than the ones in the because in the first film they're kind of bratty kids, mm-hmm. and then and these these kids are just they're focusing on adult issues at a young age and they're giving it their all, and that that's just always very sweet when you when you see kids like really trying to help, not being super successful, but. You know, they, they they did a very good job. The, the script was written well for them, and they were very cute. Gets their dad fired, you know. Normal, normal no, normal kid, but yeah. <laughs> they were well-intended. Yeah. <laughs> well, what do you think, Brett? I think what, you know, when you, when you, going into their part of the story, we see, the first time we see them, I mean, they are taking charge of things. You do this, you do this, you do this. So... We see this backstory or this, the result of a very traumatic event to the, in their family, and they have, um, I mean, they have stepped up. You know, the only really kid kid is Georgie. You know, mm-hmm. and but and I think that and I think that's one of the reasons you know Mary Poppins comes is to is to um, sort of remind them and remind everyone that you know the. The childlike qualities that we all need at all times, especially when you're a child, but even later on. But I thought that they were, they were just so sweet, and you know their songs, especially the reprise uh, in um, right the place the one that, in the yeah, nursery the place where lost things go yeah. when they're telling their dad. You know, they're just echoing these wonderful these wonderful lessons that they've learned from Mary Poppins, and it's just as it's it's done in a very organic way. It's those their ideas, so they've sort of completely synthesized the lessons that she has given them, and uh, and it was just you know heart tugging and just charming. And they were they were they were just charming yeah. all the mm-hmm. way around mm-hmm. and very so. empathetic, like you said, Vanessa. You mm-hmm. know, they're they're really wanting to be there for their dad. Uh, and don't quite know how to help him because here he's lost his wife and now he's going to lose his home. And, you know, these kids are really trying to make sure he holds it all together throughout the entire film and written in a very, uh, written in a way that they, they perform above their age. Right. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't want any kid to have to go through all that tragedy in one year's time, but they, did a great job of portraying those kids and how they might try to handle all of the things that were going on. Anna, do you have any thoughts on the kids? I just echo, they were so sweet and so well cast. They, you could tell that they were genuine in what they were doing and that they were truly having a good time and having fun and they had big imaginations and just so so sincere and they just so playful. They did a wonderful job in what they did and it was written really well for them. Brandon? Well, Joel Dawson as George is a little scene stealer, I think. He's, uh-huh. uh, he's, he's a great child. And it's at introducing Joel yeah. Dawson, yeah. so, so I think the kid's never, uh, he hasn't, doesn't have a huge IMDb profile or something. Like, for him. We'll see. <laughs> uh, 
no, but no, the, synergy. But the, uh, you know, the kids in both movies are sort of tricky to go about because, as it's stated in Saving Mr. Banks, Mary Poppins isn't there for the kids. She's there for the father mm-hmm. in both movies. So they're kind of the gateway into getting to the father. So, um, but but you have to cast them. And they, and they were cast well in, in both movies, but... Uh, the first movie, you know, they were raised by a mother and a father, and they didn't have to grow up as fast as the kids in this one. So it's different levels of uh, adulthood these kids are dealing with in either movie. So Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to uh, Jane and Michael, you know, our other, our other threads here. And I know that um, after just by talking to Anna that you had – a slight gripe on Michael Banks in particular, but do you want to talk about them? And just so we keep consistent, the actors are uh, Ben Wishaw and Emily uh, Mortimer. They play Michael and Jane Banks. Yeah, I feel bad, but with, I just don't like how Michael acted. I don't like how Ben portrayed Michael. I just, he seemed to. I don't want to say young or disingenuous. Something was just off for me. It just didn't settle like the others did. I mean, the others just settle so well. For me, his just didn't settle in quite as much. Um, and I don't know if maybe that was a choice on his end to show that he was so removed from where he had been. But it's just something didn't settle right for me. But I thought um, Emily did a nice job about playing Jane. I thought they worked really well together. And they actually like brother and sister. And they did a nice job of chemistry with everybody else. But it was just his... Ben's portrayal for me just didn't sit right for some reason. The mustache was very forced, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, they probably wanted him to have it because his dad had one, and it's so uh, iconic mm-hmm. on his dad. But maybe that's what. And then I, think I, I love the costume design throughout this entire uh-huh. film, except for maybe Michael Banks. For whatever reason, they put him in these like kind of baggy sweaters and things like that. So it did kind of make him look. And maybe that was what they were going for. Yeah. Was trying to tell him how to dress. You know, that's so. true. But also maybe they're trying, you know, the whole thing of like, oh, what are you wearing your father's sweater? Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe that's what they were going for is like that he doesn't really fit in his own clothes yet. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I don't know. But to me, it seemed very, uh, I, I, I agree with you that his, Portrayal to me was maybe um, one of the slight downsides to this mm-hmm. to this film. But let's hear from folks that might disagree with us. Uh, Brett, I think it was I think it was in the writing. I don't think you know. I think that basically he was there for his plot points. Um, I think because you know they you know he took a job as at the bank as a teller because you know painting doesn't pay well. So he's this he's an artist. Well, that's a new thing that, that we didn't know about unless we've read the books, and I haven't yet, but I hope to. Um, you know, so so that was kind of kind of thrown in there. But I'm like going, if he's if if he, if he's you know recareering, <laughs> you know, he's doing things, you know. So I think that he would just be unsettled. I think he played entirely unsettled, and I and I think that you know I think that's about us all that we were given. You know, I will say I did enjoy, and I'm looking over to see the oh, song yeah, title. Song? His song that was in the, the attic, con- a conversation. I, yeah, I thought that that um, was very sweet, and mm-hmm. talking to his wife and trying to figure out how do I handle all that's being thrown at us right mm-hmm. now. I did think that that was well, a very touching, definitely a very very touching moment uh, in the film. But mm-hmm. Vanessa, do you have thoughts on either of the Banks children? Oh, and I love, I. I love Emily Mortimer. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When I, especially when I watched it the second time, I'm just like going, 
Yeah. She did a, was, they did a really... I, she was just charming, and she was like, she was like the grown-up version yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, she looked like she yeah. could, you know, be her. I like that they, they took that thread from her mom to oh, the fact sure, that she yeah. was like a labor organizer, community organizer, much like her mom was fighting for uh, women's suffrage. You know, she's fighting for workers' rights. I thought that that was like a cool tie-in sure. that really both of them followed their parents' footsteps, right? So Michael became a banker, maybe not by choice, um, but then also that Jane became this activist. I thought that was a really mm-hmm. cool thread. Brandon? Or no, Vanessa. Well, Vanessa, I just found one thing I found interesting is that the first movie when Michael is forced to put his money in the bank, essentially, that is what saves the day, kind of. In the second Mm -hmm. film, I was like, oh, so it was good that he put his money in the bank. I read a review, and I think it was by Collider. Uh, I saw it on Twitter, and I, I see I follow like a lot of film things on Twitter, but I. They said that that moment in this movie ruined the first Mary Poppins because they, their argument was that Mary Poppins is trying to show, especially with the whole feed the bird scene, that you should be more charitable with your money and giving with your money. Uh, and that the fact that he was forced to put the Tuppence in the bank and that's what ended up saving their family that that is showing that truly the whole premise of the first movie should be thrown out. I think that's a bit of an overreaction. Your rea- your reactions to that idea, Brandon? No, I mean, I, 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 when, when Van Dyke does that little monologue at the end and talks about that, you know, I was like, oh, that does kind of contradict a little bit of the first movie. I don't think it ruins everything. No. I just think it's just a nice little wink and nod to the old movie. You know, journalists are trying to get clicks just like anybody else out there. And so I I do think it's a little bit over the top to say say that it ruined the the whole film universe by by doing that. Um, Because, you know, I, I do think that on some level, Mary Poppins is also about teaching the children personal responsibility. And that's kind of painting that picture that that was the responsible thing to do all those years ago. So... And I really, uh, we've talked going back to Jane and Michael, though. I love the uh, I love the romance between Jane and Jack. I thought mm-hmm. that was cool. I thought that was a nice little plot point. And then also, um, I like the fact that Jane and Michael doubt that what happened when they were kids with Mary Poppins was really true or not. I like mm-hmm. that because that sort of added a little more of a uh, grown-up realism to the story, too, and that they have to sort of rediscover that, you know, everything that they learned as kids. Yeah. I want to hit on three uh, additional people, um, kind of in a more of a lightning round kind of a way, uh, but we can we can see where the conversation goes. But particularly, I want to hit on Colin Firth, Meryl Streep, and of course Dick Van Dyke. So uh, let's start with Colin Firth. He really was the antagonist of this uh, film. His character was Wilkins. He also played the voice of the wolf, which mm-hmm. I thought was a really neat mm-hmm. tie-in to that animated sequence uh, as well. Colin Firth, wonderful actor, loved absolutely loved the King's Speech, right, and a lot of other things that he's been in. But he did kind of play this like a little like maniacal, like mm-hmm. you know, mustache turning kind of antagonist. But I think that that was the point, right, mm-hmm. to try to paint him as this characterization of a bad guy, uh, this wolf that is going after the children. So, any thoughts on Colin Firth? My only question was, what exactly was his vendetta against the Banks family? It didn't I really think it was, he was just 
Wasn't he, he just wanting, wanting the money? Yeah, yeah. Money. he was just wanting the money. Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, he just seemed to have kind of this. He really wanted like, the to grind. He really For some reason, he wanted that house more than anything because he was getting yeah. like 18, 19, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, that was my only question. But no, he did a good job. He you don't see Colin Firth play a mustache or something villain very often. So. Yeah. Well, and, and it, yeah. they showed two sides of that too. Oh, yeah. I'm doing everything I can to help you. Yeah. But what I'm really doing is this, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought that was in trouble. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't in the movie a ton. You know, he wasn't in a lot mm-hmm. of scenes. Um, so it just, he was there when necessary to move the plot forward a little bit. Uh, but any thoughts uh, from Vanessa or Anna? No, I agree. I think um, it was really neat to see Colin. I just, I love him as an actor, but it was neat to see him play a role like that. And I think he did such a nice job of adding that cartooniness to it without going over the top. He did mm-hmm. a great job of, of finding that line where it really should lie. He did a great job. I should mention, by the way, we're coming off of Love Actually season, so we should mention Colin Firth and Love Actually because Mary-Kate's probably listening to this episode, and uh, <laughs> she would be dismayed if we didn't mention him in uh, Love Actually as well. But Vanessa, did you have any thoughts on Colin Firth? No, it's just nice to see that they cast um, really good actors, even even in smaller roles. Yeah. Um, that just shows the level of dedication that they have to the film to bring in really good talent um, just like Meryl Streep. Yes, yeah. Look at that. Look at that. Good. You're good. Like, you ruin the segue when you go. What a great segue. <laughs> I'm sorry. With it. Every time with it. That's People because we're follow not follow my lead. Well, you're the pro here. The irony of us. So, uh, but speaking, we're just of, enamored in your abilities. Let's hop, love on, abilities. hop on that segue and go right over to Meryl Streep. Uh, I'll start off with Meryl Streep. Th- this to me. Maybe controversial, I don't know, but Edwin in Mary Poppins and Meryl Streep in Mary Poppins Returns, it'll probably be the scene that I skip uh, every time I watch this movie because I just, for whatever reason, it just, it didn't do it for me. And Edwin, same thing. When he's up on the ceiling, I'm like, oh, oh gosh, I just oh, want to get through. Yeah. So, I, I get it. Jeremy, get like, Jeremy, this might be the only time in history you ever hear me say Meryl Streep is no Edwin. No, but I like Meryl Streep. I liked her part. It, yeah, I I don't know. It's like the five minutes of the movie I could have done without. You know, it's going oh, to cause it another lesson that they learned. Person, so. Uh, but Brandon, you want to continue? No, on? I, no. I thought it was fun. I th- I don't think it had the same charm as I Love to Laugh does. But I thought it was creative and fun. And I really, you know, Meryl Streep. That's a funny eccentric character that you don't get to see her play every. Mm-hmm. And I love the little back and forth between her and Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fun. Brett. I loved her act. Well, I loved the whole thing. I like, I guess there, what was her look was a, a take of, mm, shoot. Well, anyway, um, who was, it was, um, the, the, the woman in film who had like the, the blunt bob. Mm. Um, oh, um, but anyway, her, but anyway, so yeah. Um, but I loved her accent, you know, Meryl Streep, she's been known to be, to be, uh, a great actress with the whole accent thing, Sophie's Choice. But um, but I love that you know that that when um, they were creating the songs, you know that uh, Hoidel and Goidel. <laughs> I'm, like going, I'm like going. I love listening to that. You know, I love listening to her say Goidel and Hoidel. I love that. It was great. 
So, and she, and it was a great, and it was. I loved her look. I loved the the costumes and the whole color and her whole, you know, mm-hmm. it's how. Well, I mean, it's a, you've got to watch because it's a big plot point. It's how you look at things. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, Vanessa that's, was the well, lesson that's funny, that was learned because my niece and nephew, when we were walking away from, I go, you know, what what was your favorite part? What part did did you not like? Basically, having a small podcast with them, and uh, <laughs> they were like. Well, what was the point of the bowl? Why did we take her the bowl? What was her point? And I was, and then they were like, what happens to the bowl? And then we're like, Mary Poppins, the return of the bowl will be the third movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because we never see the bowl again. We don't know what happens to it. So, um, it's back by next week. Yeah, that's, that's, that was their takeaway in that, that scene. I did really love her costuming. I, I really, I'm going to call it now someone's going to dress up like her for D23 oh or my for Mickey's gosh. Not So Scary. Oh my we will gosh. see that costume oh somewhere gosh. It's Disney Louise fans. Brooks. Louise Get Brooks. me the Louise Brooks wig. <laughs> there you go. You would be great as that part. I was looking at that. I'm oh like, my this gosh. is it. This is going to be my costume. Oh my gosh. She'd be so good. Okay. For next year. You could be Louise when Brooks. When Cameron okay. McIntosh makes this into a musical, you can audition for that role. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Perfect. Anna, any thoughts on Meryl Streep? Well, I will say that I watching the film, I didn't particularly like that scene. It just kind of is what it is. But I, I learned later that that's actually one of the characters from the original P.L. Travers books. And so then I liked it more because if it's actually from the stories and it's a neat plot point that's true to the books. So that made me enjoy that part more. But otherwise, it was just kind of there for me. Yeah. yeah. It was it was the I love to laugh portion. Of it was. Mm-hmm. It said she's Uncle Albert. That's yeah. right. So I will let the two of you fight over this. Who gets to speak about him first? But let's talk about Dick Van Dyke. And both of you look at you. You're both going. We don't want to fight. Brandon, talk to me about Dick Van Dyke and his performance. What Brett was saying earlier, they showed us to it. I wish they hadn't told us Dick Van Dyke was in the movie. I think that would have been mm-hmm. such an amazing surprise. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. yeah. But. It was so. It was surreal seeing him in that wig and in that makeup in a 2018 movie, um, and to see that he still had the you know energy. Uh, just just the little bit of dance that he did. It was great. His and dance was great. Movie, yeah, and I, I read an interview where Rob Marshall apparently had choreographed it to where both Lin Manuel Miranda and Emily Blunt could help him on the table, and apparently he pushed both their hands away and said, "No, I want to do it myself." did it and so yeah I mean just to see a 91 year old Dick Van Dyke have the same energy he had in 1964 that, that made the whole movie yeah I was watching it and it made me rethink my life because I was like I guarantee I will not be that sprightly when I'm at 91 if I keep doing what I'm doing I need to follow the Dick Van Dyke method and just do whatever he's doing lots of drinking in your 30s and 40s and then sobering up after that oh well if that's what works I guess we'll go with that uh, no, I was watching him and going like I don't know if I can get up on that table now let alone look at him do it and he's so good and yes it was well it was a tearjerker I think is what that's you said where, when you watched well, it well the first time when I watched it even in my sort of uh, low energy level um, yeah uh, viewing experience, um, it just from the moment he 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 appeared on the stage, and all of the words that he s- said, all of his dialogue is when I 
that's, that's when the waterworks just started. I mean, the, the that entire scene. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the little nods that I, I think that when he, you know, when he did the, I, in an interview I heard uh, something about the wooden leg named Smith was an ad lib. He improvised the wooden leg named Smith. But one. you just want to go, <sighs> it was just everything. Mm-hmm. I just loved everything. And that he put it all together and then, and then, and then, you know, brought the whole plot point, you know, that, no, it was because of this, because of, because of the money that your family, you know, yeah. ha- helped, that, that, you know, just tied it up in a great big bow. And I'm like going, ah, mm-hmm. <sighs> and he sang mm-hmm. and he danced. And it was, you know, I guess when they filmed it, that Rob Marshall couldn't, couldn't, you know, say cut at the end because they were all just, you know, in, he was in tears because it was everything. It was everything he would want. And that that apparently he had told Rob Marshall that when they walked in some scene that, that it had the same feeling as the original, mm-hmm. which it did. It did. Mm-hmm. It did. So mm-hmm. that was just, I watched the second time I watched it. I'm like going, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I cried at the same point again. But that's about where I started to cry. I, mean, I cried like multiple going, times throughout the film, hot mess, but at that end part, I started crying there and I didn't stop till the end. It just mm-hmm. kept crying. Nope. So yep. it was just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was meant to be. And isn't it amazing that that particular part that Dick Van Dyke played, played he had to pay Walt, I think it was like $4,000 to like play that part. Yeah. And now, he, all these years later, well, I hope he asked for that money back. <laughs> if he's going to re- do a reprise of that role. But that's, that's just amazing to see him still doing it. And the credits at the end were exactly like, you know, they were in the original mm-hmm. film, but yeah, we'll get yeah. to the nods because, and the mm-hmm. Easter eggs, because that was just the whole, that was the whole film for me. Well, that's a, that's a good way to get to that point because I, we could talk about Angela Lansbury, but she was much more of a cameo in mm-hmm. my mind than Dick Van Dyke was really a central character in this, in this piece. Um, but talk a bit about the Easter eggs and the nods, and then we'll also mention some of the scenes that we uh, really enjoyed that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about. Uh, well, I don't want to slight Angela Lansbury. Um, well, no, she was wonderful. So. I'm just saying it was more of a cameo in my was, mind. I had heard some people just kind of think that that is perhaps the part that oh, Julie, Julie Andrews was offering. But I'm like going, it, well, when Julie Andrews, you know, it says that no, I think in the last interview that I saw with, um, that I just watched with uh, Emily Blunt, she said that, that Rob Marshall was very good friends with Julie Andrews and that, you know, if she would have had a cameo, it would have taken away from Emily Blunt's Mary Poppins because it would just go, oh, and there she is. You know, the others were just, you know, wonder, the other cameos were just wonderful little nods that were rather subtle, at least the Jane, mm-hmm. at least, you know, the elegant lady, yeah, you know, just sort of comes in. Too. But okay, yeah, so anyway, but but it was a wonderful plot point and I love the song and that's another part where I cried. But okay, back to the Easter eggs. Now this is what I think, this is what I loved most about the film is that it was an absolute love letter to the original. And... Yeah. Uh, just and and in fact, I listened to when I listened to the score today. Well, in preparation for I, what I thought was going to be just an emotional night of tears, which I actually had a handkerchief that I did not use until the end. But anyway, because I was dead inside. But anyway, I'm <laughs> very tired. Um, there are, I think, Mark Shaman is a genius 
even before this, because of the way he is able to um, create music that is evocative of a period or a style. Um, and in this, he completely, you know, captured a feeling of the original music and yet made something new, which I think was just amazing. The other thing is that it so lovingly had themes, included themes and instrumentation uh, from the original. I counted them today because I listened to the the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, the other thing. I listened to the soundtrack prior to going into this because I didn't want to be a mess. <laughs> it worked. It was only a mess at the end. But anyway, um, there are at least 12 incidences in the, in, in the um, soundtrack that are either nods or um, themes from the original in, mm-hmm. in, and he, he does that so well. It's, uh, it's just, I, I love that part of the film when someone comes in, well, when Mary Poppins first comes in, it's, you know, spoon, or it's um, spoonful of sugar. And it's actually, it's her opening. It's the same music from when she flies in, in the original, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, but I thought he did that in the most delightful way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I worked on that one. So, <laughs> but I, I just love, I love the soundtrack. Well, actually, okay. Um, I was talking to a f- while I was going back and forth. Uh, I was texting with a friend who who's out there and in the business. <laughs> but anyway, he um, he said that. He had talked to Mark Shaman and said that... Uh, oh. Yeah, I know. Hello. I don't want to name know. drop that one. We were just anyway. one degree away. Yes. <laughs> let's see. Anyway, so let's see. Um, I'm in love with... The, uh, this is what I said. I'm in love with the score and hope it's rewarded during the season. And sorry, my friend Joe says, me too. Mark was sh- sure proud of it. And he said it's probably the best work he's ever going to do. Wow. And the quote was, wow. downhill from here, kid. <laughs> Can you imagine? Wow. I'm like, wait, he's just, just, it was just amazing. I loved it before. I love it now. Mm-hmm. The music permeates my brain and it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about <laughs> some more about some of our favorite things about this film that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about yet. So, uh, Vanessa, do you have anything in particular that you'd like to call out that we haven't addressed quite yet? No. Okay. Fair. <laughs> I I think everything that I want to say is has been said. It's just a delightful movie. So yeah. someone else, who else knows something <laughs> that needs to be said? Well, I'd like to talk about the animation style, uh, particularly <laughs> the the mixture of cell shading. Yes. Because I just thought it's so funny. Because right before going to see this movie, the week before, I saw Spider Man into the Spider Verse and. How you could connect these two? Only I could connect these two movies. But you saw some of the cell shading uh, in that film. That's how Spider Verse is drawn almost entirely. Uh, And maybe I'm using the wrong lingo, Dominic. Yeah, Dominic, where are you? And tell me that I'm using the 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 wrong lingo. We're going to get him on the Spider Verse episode because that movie was great. I hate to tell you, I think it's going to win the Oscar for best animated feature. But uh, so. When you're looking at the bowl scene, it's kind of a, a combination of that old-style 2D animation along with a little bit of cell shading. Even in the costumes, like her bow tie that she's wearing is kind of that cell shaded um, 
kind of artwork style and going around the, the, the animation style of them like falling off the edge of the bowl and going around the bowl. Everything about that was so cool. And then to top it all off, they had the penguins. They had the yes. same exact penguins. And it was so great to see them again. I enjoyed that whole Cockney scene. It was cool because my understanding is that Emily Blunt, like that's more of her dialect, is more sort of leaning towards that Cockney style as opposed to a prim and proper style. And so to give her the ability to to show that off a little bit, I thought was a really neat scene. I, I just loved every bit of the bowl scene. I, my, that was my one like really loud laugh out moment in the theater was Chris O'Dowd's character. Yes. And they're like, you're, you're, that's right, I'm Irish. <laughs> <laughs> and he's an Irish center. And he's like, so funny. And Yes, that was my favorite moment that whole. Love that. Anna, do you have anything you want to call out and mention? Oh, well, you, you all are probably better talking about than I am, but I just, the nods to the Easter eggs in this film are incredible when they go up in the attic and then they pull out, you know, there's the old snow globe from mm-hmm. their childhood. And um, one of my favorite parts, too, is when they're in the house and then they set off a cannon next door and all of the kids run to their positions <laughs> to, to grab where they're supposed to be for the house to shake. So they're holding the lantern like they used to. They're holding the, oh, the sure. pictures like they used to. And I got a kick out of that because they did it scene for mm-hmm. scene where they needed to. And then, so everything in that world still made sense, and then they moved on with the plot in other ways, too. I just thought it was really, really unique, and I dated it seamlessly. It was great. Brandon? I, I was praying before this, I saw the movie, I said, please let them bring back Admiral Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So happy. Yeah. Because I'm yeah, the guy from Titanic. Oh, yeah. I love that character. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. In a but, big, bad uh, way. He, finally, he gets but, to play someone But yeah, and, and like you said, I miss 2D animation so much. And so to see a little of it again was just, you they, know. Well, I said, that I understand that they filmed that first because... They needed all of the lead time for the animators. And they said that they mm-hmm. brought back, you know, animators out of retirement. The, but they the also Edward used did. young, young, young people that were learning, you know, from cool. these. So I'm like going... Maybe we'll get a two It was just um, so lovingly done. Well, in our conversation with Brenda Chapman and Kevin Lima, they said yeah, they really... They were hoping uh, to bring something yeah. back. Yeah. But, but yeah, I just... And, and, the, and the set design, mm-hmm. you know... And, Cherry Tree Lane looked so good, just like it did in the original movie, and the, and the set design of the house, and you know it was because you know it's taking place twenty years later, so some of it's updated, but it's still the same Banks house, and yeah, it was just really dingy though, like well, almost like too dingy, I thought, because uh, you watch the original and it's like beautiful white and yeah. all of this, and they had more help. And the help that they had. Right. That's true. And Julie Walters. And apparently she doesn't love, clean well. And I love Julie Walters. She did a great spot on yeah, Ellen Boy. She, she did Hermione Badly. Mm-hmm. Really good justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Movie, so. yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about things that we didn't necessarily enjoy in the film. And Brett, I might steal yours a little bit. But I didn't like that a lot of the major moments of this film were given away in the trailer. Because... Mm-hmm. It kind of showed like, oh, okay, this is where we're going into this next and, and whatever. Now, there was a movie that uh, the trailer happened before Mary Poppins, and I can't remember the title of the movie, but it literally gave away the entire movie. It was that movie with the dog. And I was just like, well, we don't have to go see this yeah, one. Like, well, it, it literally, I mean, other than showing the dog dying at the end, it probably showed you the entire movie. So, 
I was like homeward bound for 2018 or 2019. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the trailer gave away a lot in this film. And it wasn't even just the trailer. I thought was enough if they would have stopped with that. But the, all of the press, mm-hmm. they would show more and more clips. I mean, right before I saw it, they were showing... The topsy stuff. And I, I mean, I, I, I averted my eyes. Avert your eyes. Don't look at... Yeah. <laughs> I'm like going... Because I'm like, well, I've seen too much. Mm-hmm. And I was... And, and I think that that had an impact the first time I saw it. Because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, here we are. Yeah. Okay, yeah. This is this. The yeah. second time I was able to appreciate it more because I had more sleep. <laughs> well, and I feel like that makes sense to me because I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I didn't want to see any of that. I And I didn't open my... I didn't have the opportunity to see it. And I didn't put it in front of myself either. So I had nothing. I had nothing but the title going in and it, I think did make it a better experience for me to not know More what surprised, I was watching. Yeah. yeah, I was super surprised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any areas of the movie that you weren't necessarily a fan of? Um, I, I think, I don't, I, there's nothing really that comes to mind that I wasn't a fan of. We've already talked about, I wasn't really into the topsy scene, but I'm not like you. I wouldn't skip it. I think it was fine. It is what it is. I, but yeah, otherwise there's nothing really that disappointed me. I was majorly blown away. Vanessa? Well, okay. So they have the lantern guys climb up Big Ben with all these ladders and then their short ladder. And Mary Poppins like, oh, fine. I'll just do it. And I'll like, just Mary fly Poppins, up there, yeah. They risk their lives. We already <laughs> lost one ladder. These men can't afford another ladder. Now <laughs> you should have just flown up there from, from the get-go. It's, well, but she says, it's like they haven't done this before. It's fine. She'll pay them in turkey legs. It's fine. Mm. Well, that's, that's acceptable. Thing. That's a, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I do love I, me some turkey legs. Oh, but let's not go there. Anyway. Uh, that was the only thing that I was like, yeah. you know, was that necessary? But, um, mm-hmm. but the, you know, that's the small. It was, all in all, is very well done. Brett. Oh, okay. If I may be a heretic for just a moment. Sure. Um, <laughs> I think what I liked in this is that we got a, uh, we got a full story and the ending was an ending. And I say, well, how's that, you know, heresy? The point is, in the original film, I think when they get to the point where um, George Banks loses his job, it's kind of like he goes crazy. And then it's, let's go fly a kite, no, everything is, is fine. Gosh, it's just like, it is this wonderful movie, and then it stops. You know, let's go fly a kite. Oh, you know, and make, you know. And so I thought this had a nice ending that, you know, that, that Michael has this has this moment and this realization that actually his father I mean he just kind of goes crazy no let's go fly a kite that'll be great and uh, so off the beam as they say uh-huh. when I have a cold I sort of sound like Dame Maggie Dinch so anyway <laughs> so, but anyway I thought you know that was the, a weak point of the original film is that it just kind of all this wonderful thing happens in this kind of mm-hmm. slow pace sort of thing and, and now we're done let's fly a kite and this I thought had had a nice flow all the way through, um, and it flew by. <laughs> I, I say uh, you you brought up an interesting point because I always did think that Mary Poppins seemed long, uh, and Mary Poppins is nine minutes longer than Mary Poppins Returns. Mm-hmm. It didn't wow. feel like it. The original film feels long. Yeah, this one did not. Mm-mm. Brandon, anything that you want to mention? Um, no, not that you know. Really, I. 
it's like it's like with the it's like with the first movie. I, I'm, I'm shocked. I really don't have anything to complain about with either movie. Yeah. So well, that's a good thing. Really, yeah. Well, I mean, it's I mean, practically I mean, perfect. I, I mean, I mean, there's all things you can nitpick, but yeah, I don't but think. But then that's uh, out. That's against yeah. the spirit of the film, yeah. too, of but, both of them. But you did mention. I love the Karen Dotris, the original Jane, got a cameo in this movie, and, that was and her and her dialogue. Many thanks, sincerely. Seriously. <laughs> I'm just like going, yeah. Wait, that, which, I, which one was she again? She was the lady. elegant lady. You know, where is where is um, where is. She, the, when, when, um, it was the address 09 when, when Jack and uh, 17, uh, when Jack and Jane are having their scene together out in front of the house mm-hmm. she, she's the one walking by where um, Jane's got all of her like um, signage for mm-hmm. all her protests and everything she bumps into her and drops everything she's oh. the lady dressed like in the fur and everything and she says many thanks sincerely going mm-hmm. back to and it even Jane has, and Michael Banks and, yeah. it's score, and the underscore is is her original is, is from yeah, that yeah. Yeah. lover see yeah. that I'm going to have to watch it again so I can yeah. catch that I missed yeah. that the other oh it. the other thing that I again about the realization that Michael has in this when his children are teaching him you know you know mom's with us you know and and the when she, when he's talking to Mary Poppins and um, the the music that is under that that underscores that is the music after basically the life lesson that um, that George Banks has um, when he um, when he has this realization that mm-hmm. it's after the step in time and he has mm-hmm. the the scene with Dick Van, uh, Dick Van Dyke it's the same music mm-hmm. there when both fathers learn the lesson very cool. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go around the room, uh, so let's make this a hypothetical situation. It's early 2019. Mary Poppins Returns has just broke the $100 million mark domestically at the box office, and they announced that Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel Miranda have signed on to do another Mary Poppins. Are you happy or not? Uh, and we'll go this way. So, Brett, yes. you, do you want to see more? Yes. Okay. There are more stories, and... Rob Marshall has alluded to that, and so and um, Emily Blunt has said, "I'd love to play Mary Poppins again." Sure, I'd love to see what happens to the bowl. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brandon, cautiously optimistic. Cautiously uh, optimistic. Yeah. Okay, uh, you know, I, it's they captured magic in this movie, and mm-hmm. it's very hard to do it in a second a second yeah. time. But yes, absolutely, I want to see more. I, I like what they did. Um, taking the P.L. Travers stories, and there's so many left that they can tell it. So I, I hope that they do it correctly, like they did this one. All right. Uh, and then I am also on that bandwagon. Sign me up for more Mary Poppins, for sure. This is uh, an incredibly unfair and difficult question, and I'm going to go the opposite way around. You get the choice. You can put into your Blu-ray player or streaming device mm-hmm. Mary Poppins or Mary Poppins Returns. At this moment, what do you put in? This moment I put in returns. I have seen the original so many times that it's ingrained in my mind. And I'm right now at the point where I want to see returns so I can have that ingrained in my mind too. So that's why returns wins today. I know I'm the classics guy, but I would watch returns right now too. But only because, like like you said, we're currently absorbing this new one. Mm-hmm. The, the other one's already absorbed into our bloodstreams. We can, you know, you know, we can recount that. And that one's kind of the old friend that you can always pull out whenever you want to but this is the new one that we're discovering right now I will put in the original 
because there are many things that have been said today that I don't understand. <laughs> and I feel very unprepared and lost. So I will go back and rewatch the original as an adult. Thank you. That is so funny. Brett, uh, Mary Poppins returns because I want to see absolutely every letter of the love letter that, that um, they all created uh, mm-hmm. to the original. And I'm very familiar with the original. Yes. Please, I was a penguin. Speaking of which, we haven't talked about the costume design. And one of my favorite little nods is in Mary Poppins' hat. She has a beautiful little robin on her hat as a nod to her her singing with the robin in the first film. So the costume design is just a love letter in itself. It's beautiful. And I I think that I'm on the Mary Poppins Returns bandwagon right now because I'd like to see it multiple times again. Want to come back to it again and again. For sure. And try to, you know, a lot of people are saying right now that the songs aren't as memorable, but we have the ability, you know, we have 50 years of uh, going back and listening to those Sherman Brothers uh, songs from the original that I don't know that we can judge accurately or adequately right now whether or not these songs will will stick around uh, as much as they do. And I always come back, even in the... You know, even in the the hype that was Frozen and Let It Go, we went to Disney World that New Year's Day, and Anna and Elsa had like a ten minute wait to be seen because the movie had just come out in the end of November, and it the wave hadn't happened yet. Now, this isn't going to necessarily have that same impact because it's just not being seen by as many people. But I'm just saying that it you don't know which songs might end up hitting. The Golden Globes didn't nominate any of the songs, so we'll see if any of them get nominated for the Oscars. It would be it would be awesome to see Emily Blunt and Lin Manuel perform at the Oscars, uh, along with uh, Kendrick Lamar for Black Panther, and you know it it'd just be a really neat year for Best Original Song uh, if they decide to go that way. But Brett, did you have something about the costumes or anything like that? Um, well, the costume designer was um, Sandy Powell, and. Um, I watched another interview yesterday um, with, and she and Emily Blunt were talking about the costume design and um, Sandy Powell had, well, you might've heard of some of her work. Let's see. Cinderella, um, young Victoria, Carol, um, Shakespeare in love, plus others. Don't bring him. Okay. I did not bring him, but, um, but great. She has one of these days. I'm going to hate to watch that movie. Um, okay. Um, but she, but she always wanted to do a musical. So this was her first musical. And they talked about the, you were talking about the scene, um, with the animation that all of those costumes were painted. And then Emily Blunt says the pleats in her, uh, in her dress are painted in. So I'm like going, the detail was just amazing. So congrats to Miss Sandy Powell. And can I say in, in my mind, I don't, I don't know if some people would disagree with me or not. This is by far, I think the best of the Disney reboots we've gotten mm-hmm. so far. Um, I I'd agree with that. Yeah. And looking at the trailers before, well, we didn't, we saw them on Christmas day. They showed all three trailers of the live action ones coming out next year. <laughs> I think we're about to get a mixed bag of stuff. So uh-huh. <laughs> you're way more excited than me for, than, than I am for Dumbo. And mm. man, she'll cry. She'll cry. That, yeah, that EW, that EW cover with uh, the genie. That now, granted, he will be CGI rough. most of the time, and probably more of the time now that they got that reaction to it. Um, you know, it's kind of like when X Men put uh, 
Apocalypse on the trailer and he was one color and then when the movie came out he was a completely different color because everyone was like why does he look like Tinky Winky you know uh, that kind of thing so but and and then John Favreau in John Favreau I trust so I cannot wait for the Lion King I think mm-hmm. that that one that of the three next year I think that one will be absolutely stellar especially with the cast that they have but yeah I, I would agree with you that this is my favorite and I think you've mentioned his name a bunch um, but Rob Marshall we've got to give him his due because so many people when this was coming out the big critique or criticism was ah it's Rob Marshall so it's probably not going to be very good he can be uh, good this. you know he is well yeah. he is but you know it's going to be gorgeous whatever yeah. it is right and I mean all of his films are gorgeous right um but he really delivered, and oh, yeah. I, really I, I forgave that him feeling. for nine, <laughs> <laughs> which is saying a lot. <laughs> anyway, anything that you want to say as a wrap up? Anything that you were dying to say about this film that you haven't had the opportunity to? Good. I think so. Good. Well, then let's do our plugs. Thank you so much for uh, listening to this episode. You can constantly find us on Beyond the Mouse uh, on your iTunes feed or any other podcast feed. You can also find us on the Front Row Network feed as well. Uh, I should mention that this past week or so was our first uh, exclusive only to the Beyond the Mouse feed. So if you listen to us on the Front Row Network feed... You will miss some of the Beyond the Mouse episodes if you don't uh, also follow us on the Beyond the Mouse feed as well. Uh, We're going to be doing some really cool things in the upcoming year. We just talked about some of the ideas before we started recording, and I know that uh, we want to explore Disneyland a lot more this upcoming year. I'm really looking forward to 2019 and Beyond the Mouse and seeing what direction we take it in. So you can, of course, follow us on our Facebook page, which is the Beyond the Mouse page. You can also follow us on the Front Row Network as well. Uh, Front Row Reviews with a Z for our Twitter feed and the Front Row Movie Reviews on Instagram. So you can follow all of that and then also go to our website, www.thefrontrowmoviereviews.com and you can see all of our episodes going way, way back to Brandon's Casablanca and Singing in the Rain and our Avengers Age of Ultron, which sounds and seems like it was forever ago go but we're really looking forward to a wonderful year of disney this really kicked off it ended 2018 it kicked off our coverage though of an amazing 2019 as far as disney films are concerned this year in disney properties we're getting things like dumbo we're getting things like uh, aladdin and the lion king we're also getting movies like avengers endgame and we're getting We're getting Toy Story 4, we're getting Captain Marvel, we're getting Star Wars Episode 9 this year. And there's so many amazing, it's like Brett, you said it, you know, 2018 was a big year for having something every single month, but literally this one, this this year has something every single month if you're a Disney fan, and we'll be here to cover it all. So excited about that, but... My name is Craig, and for the Beyond the Mouse podcast, we will wrap it up now. And again, I'm Craig. I'm Anna McFarland. I'm Brandon Davis. I'm Vanessa Ferguson. I'm Brett Rutherford. And we'll see you real soon in 